welcome back to Johnny Radio Pod. Before we introduce today's guest, be sure to follow Johnny Radio Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to us, Johnny Radio, on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Our guest today, another member of the Rad Dude Cast, New York City <laughs> comedian, writer, actor, Anthony DeVito. Man, what's going on? Oh, nothing much, man. Just, uh, I'm just. I'm sitting in my den. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I always there's always that so much pressure immediately when nothing is going on, and I try to scramble for something to be going on. I just started Ozark season two. <laughs> looking to get into it, man. <laughs> hey, man, we're all looking for something new to watch. I was telling Brad the other day. I got the uh, I got a VPN so I could start exploring Netflix. Uh, you know, in other countries because they have different shows on. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Get in. You got you got to yeah. diversify a little bit because I'm running out of shit. Yeah, man. I gotta. I, plus, I'd like to know what's going on in Bulgaria. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, what's the to top ten? Like, what are they? What are yeah. they checking out? Yeah, man. What are they up to? What, what's happening there? What do they consider enter- entertainment? I need to know. It is always funny, and it is always interesting when you do look at the top ten from other countries. And you know, it's it's pretty similar in a lot of ways. But you know, yeah. there's these random shows you'll see pop up. Yeah, I love when they have the obvious ripoffs that are just like <laughs> just one thing <laughs> over from whatever our big show is. That's my favorite. It's just like oh, instead of everybody loves Raymond, a lot of people like Putin on. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I don't know if you guys can get away with this or not, but okay. <laughs> it's like you know what we'll give you guys that one yeah. they, they all look like kind of similar too yeah, yeah. <laughs> got some random tall guy play like brad garrett it's like wait a minute and then they get like the real act like they get the real dad or whatever because it's like well he needs work so uh he'll do it there too yeah <laughs> so we'll find a position for him yeah we'll throw him in there all right anthony we appreciate you coming on i know you're a busy guy you got a lot going on i have nothing um, i'm just watching ozark season two <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. That's yeah, I, <laughs> I love it, man. I just, I'm in it. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's get right into the heart of it. Um, I'm sure you get this question asked a lot if you do hop on other podcasts, and you really don't have to get too much into it. I'm going to leave the floor open I'll to you. Di- I'll, but... dig, I'll dig through it all. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, how did you get into comedy, and especially the New York stand-up comedy scene? Oh, for sure. So I um I always wanted to do comedy uh but I was so shy growing up so and I don't know if you guys felt this way too when I watched comedy I was like I can never do that. Um I've heard other people be like oh I watched it and thought I could be better than that guy. <laughs> I watched it I would be like I don't and and you know and you going back you uh, I remember as a kid I was probably watching just I mean high school dropouts. You know what I mean? Just people with nothing going on. And I was like, this guy is a goddamn magician. <laughs> this guy is 44 with nine roommates. And I was looking up to them. So I, uh, but I was so shy. Um, and I kind of had that thing of like, I think the best comedians or most comedians origins are they're not, and they can be the funniest person in the room. That's not, uh, some people were that when growing up and great for them. But I think most of us, it was we noticed the things that were funnier than what the funniest guy or funniest person was noticing. That maybe wasn't for everyone, but if you broke it down, that was the uh, the funnier thing. So I just, um, I, I always wanted to do it. Uh, I was kind of that gro- person growing up. I was obsessed with comedy. 
Uh, I went to college for architecture, uh, graduated with an architecture degree, thought I was going to be doing that, worked in an office for like a year and a half. I, uh, I, not yeah. to interrupt you. No, there, no, no, please do. I just re-listened to your album the other day and I listened to that bit. Oh, with, uh, you studying architecture and uh, kind of how that all unfolded. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm down, man. Get into it. I miss so many parts when I start talking. So feel free to interrupt, <laughs> ask questions, do whatever you want, because I'll, I'll bore everyone to death. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I uh, so I worked in an office for a couple of years. It was I was horrible uh, at architecture. It's like such a godsend that I didn't do that. There are buildings in New Jersey that I worked on that still give me nightmares <laughs> that they're going to fall down. I check the papers maybe once a week for a specific <laughs> building in Portland. But um, uh, and that's, so at some point I was like, all right, this is not going to be what I'm going to do. So then uh, uh, worked in an office in Jersey for a couple of years after graduating college. I uh, traveled for a little bit, um, kind of figured out during traveling that I wanted to do comedy moved to New York, started, I still kind of had a foot in architecture. I started working at Habitat for Humanity through AmeriCorps, uh, and then started doing improv at UCB, then started running uh, a show with Greg Stone at the Creek, and then um, started doing stand-up for there. So I really, I started in New York. So I had no idea, um, I, I, I had no idea I was worth anything in comedy for, a, I, the bar was so you know, impossible to get a laugh at a New York open mic. So I was like, oh, I'm I'm horrible at this. And then I went up one time in front of an audience and I was like, wait, like half of these jokes work. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> and um, yeah, just kind of been doing it uh, for 11 years since then. Awesome. What do you think you like your big break was? Um, uh, I would have you had it yet, do you think? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's always it's always tough because you and, and it's it's stupid because as comics, I think we're always um, it's hard to like stay in the moment and to be satisfied with whatever you accomplish, because um, either some some friend is in your ear or your own personal insecurities being like, OK, like on to the next thing. So it kind of varies as it goes. But the first uh the first big thing for me was Montreal just for last festival in 2012. That didn't, it didn't really do anything for my career, but I felt it validated me as a comedian, just joining the ranks of other comics that had done it. But I would say the late show with Stephen Colbert actually mm. opened real doors for me uh, going on the road and things like that. Yeah. We were going to ask you about that uh, a little bit down in the podcast, but let's just jump into it right now, man. Sure. Uh, so how'd that come about? What was that like? And, uh, you know, what kind of transpired from there after your appearance on the Colbert? You know? uh, yeah. So that happened. I was running a set. I was like in talks with the booker from Conan to to do a set for Conan. So I was running it around town, just trying to put together a tape. You, I mean, it's so it's, so, it's such a pain in the ass to try to do this. But um, so I was trying to put together a tape and just so happened that the booker for Colbert was at Stand Up New York that night watching me run my set. And she liked the set and she basically was like, I can get you on Colbert like next week compared to the process with Conan was taking years and that's not you know a knock on the booker of conan that's just their process and um so i didn't know what to do because i didn't want to 
you know, he had, you know, he had reached out to me and we were working together. So I sent him an email basically giving, you know, being transparent about the situation. And he was super cool about it. He was like, go do if she can get you on Colbert right away, do that. So, um, you know, just a couple kind of tink tinkering with the set here and there. And then um, a few I'd say a few months later, I ended up doing Colbert. So were you, were you nervous? Like what, like what were you <laughs> yeah. feeling like going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that man. had to be, that had to be a big thing. And I, I can't even imagine what that'd be like. Yeah. I, I don't, any, any comic that's like, I was not nervous. They're such, they're such bullshit. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> you're ABC, you're CBS for five minutes. That's daunting, man. You're the network. <laughs> um, so Brendan Ayer, you know, obviously do the podcast with, he had done Seth Meyers uh, maybe a year before that. So he, the thing he told me, he was like, just keep drinking water up until like right about, you're right about to go on stage because physically you're, you're just going to be so overwhelmed with nerves that your mouth is going to get dry. And that was weirdly like some of the best advice that I got because I was fine. And then, you know, the hours tick by and then you're you're just in that green room, hold up, and it's just, it's starting to really pour into you that you're about to do late night television and all the horrendous things that could go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I um I began to get more and more nervous. I was drinking I, I was drinking water like I was at like a rave, like just <laughs> <laughs> water. And then um as uh as I was waiting in the wings to go on, I was still you know pretty freaked out. And then Colbert, before he introduced me, he ran over to me and he said, hey, man, I watched your tapes. I think you're great. I'm so happy you're doing the show. And then he ran back to his desk and said, ladies and gentlemen, Anthony DeVito. And I was so jacked from meeting him and getting those compliments that I wasn't nervous. And like I, I came out smiling and giddy because I was like, holy shit, Stephen Colbert <laughs> thinks I'm good at this. And um, so I, my nerves were taken away because of the water trick and Stephen Colbert, I'd say. Well, I, I def we definitely both uh, uh, Johnson and I have checked it out, and yeah, you know, it was it was a great set. I I was laughing; it was funny. I've seen some other bits here, so if you guys out there, if you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, definitely. And so, like, how do you get other gigs, right? So, is it something where people reach out to you, like venues or clubs reach out to you, or do you go out and say, "Hey, I want to perform for you guys"? In terms of uh, clubs on the road, or just in general? In general. Oh, okay. It, yeah, it's like an amalgamation. Um, uh, clubs on the road, sometimes it'll be through uh, my road agent. Um, they'll reach out to him. He'll reach out to them, however that conversation goes. But I would say a bulk of the work really comes from other comedians. Um, that it's, it's other comics who uh, I'm friends with who recommended me to a room or to a show. And that's how I've gotten most of what I've gotten. It's just through peers. Okay. Awesome. Um, so you talked about, you know, how you got into comedy when you were younger. Did you have any specific comics that you kind of looked up to or you tried to model your work after, at least when you were younger or even now? I mean, when you're doing stand up and trying to sort yeah. of evolve your, your, you know, comedian and your, your acts. For sure. Yeah. Um, I, grow, I mean, David, I would say David Cross, Chris Rock, George Carlin. Those were kind of the three big influences on me. I, I don't think I do anything remotely like them as a comic now. But but growing up, um, I was like, oh, man, they they were so David Cross was so funny to me just because he was so 
he was so so sarcastic i mean tripping <laughs> with it to the point where you were like i kind of hate this guy but i i i just thought he was so funny because he was so he was so sharp and so sarcastic and um and, and there was a little bit of him just butting up against the system. I was never really like a, a punk guy or anything like that. But I did like that he had this vibe of like, um, hey, I think the world is fucked up and I'm going to tell you why. And George Carlin was just such a wizard at that. He was he was unbelievable to me because in one breath he could talk about abortions and farts and a crowd of people would be laughing. And I I was just amazed that he was able to do that. And then Chris Rock, uh, he fell along the same lines of George Carlin and me, where he was just this like incredible writer combined with um, a really engaging performance that didn't it didn't seem disingenuous. It seemed very much like, hey, this is this is who I am. And these are the things I have to tell you people. And I just uh, yeah, I was really uh, enamored by them. I've always been curious about this is like, I feel like comedians are kind of like in like a fraternity, you know, it's like tough to do. You're always on the road. You got gigs and stuff. Um, but is there, do you look at other comedians as like rivals? No, not really. I, I, maybe at first, just because uh, of uh, your own insecurities with your, uh, your own abilities. But a, as you go on, that kind of, uh, that trips off of you. Okay. Um, so then a, a, as I've gone on, I, you know, I'm, Mainly, I'm really happy for my friend's success because then they can help me. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, right. Yeah. So anything they get uh, will trickle down to me <laughs> in some way. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I've, I'm genuinely happy when my friends are doing well. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. You could uh, sort of ride the coattails, if you will. And Yeah. Then, uh, and you're oh, right. Yeah, it, man. It, it, it really... Wolf 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, diving right into that. Speaking of Michelle Wolf, so you wrote on her variety show. The yes. Break with Michelle Wolf. Yes. Tell us about that. Working with her, writing, uh, just everything about what that was like. Yeah, it was fun, man. I mean, it was. Uh, I know Michelle from hosting uh, a dirty, dingy open mic at the pit at eleven o'clock on a Tuesday night. So I know her since when she started. So to me, she's just always my friend, Michelle. Um, so I've never looked at her in any other uh, light. Um, and then that was, yeah, that was my first writing job. She got the show. Um, you know, we sub I submitted a packet like everybody else. Uh, you know, I'm sure being her friend helped. I don't think I don't <laughs> think that I would ever or she would ever deny that. But you know, she's not gonna jeopardize her show for the sake of me getting a paycheck. So, you know, it was uh I was a you know, it was a good packet. And uh yeah, writing on the show was it was tough to be honest with you, just because um I yeah, I you, instead of bombing at night. Uh, and then going home, I would bomb at 11 a.m. surrounded by talented writers. <laughs> and then I would just sit in my chair. There was nowhere to go. <laughs> so it, it definitely played on my uh, self-esteem. But overall, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great experience in terms of just output, learning and uh, growth uh, as a writer and comedian. So obviously we only know Michelle from what we see on the internet. Yes. Is that what she's like in person in real life? You're Michelle the friend? Uh, what, uh, what do you mean by that? You're not going to offend me. I, I'm, I think that... No, I just, uh, just her personality, like, like what she like, uh, you know, when she's not, you know, on camera. Um, she very, she's probably a lot goofier than people think. Um, terrible racist. 
Uh, <laughs> racist. Um, no, I think she's she's way goofier than people think. I think people probably assume Michelle is like this uh, very driven, shouting, socially conscious person. She's an idiot. She's a we <laughs> are we all right? Yeah, no, she's a very dumb person. <laughs> and a horrible racist that she just said. Yes, I would lead with that. Yes. Okay. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so for you as like a profession, you know, that's your writing gig. You, you obviously focus on stand-up and you've done acting stuff. Where do you see yourself? Do you want to continue to do different aspects or do you want to focus on a specific like subset of entertainment? Um, yeah, I mean, I, more than anything, I love, uh, writing in whatever capacity. Uh, I, I think I love writing jokes for stand up the most. And, um, I've done stand up long enough where more often than not, I'm not nervous telling those jokes. I'm comfortable telling them. And I got into a place on stage that I'm happier with who I am on stage. So the whole ordeal feels pretty comfortable to me. But um, I, I like acting. I'm, I'm just not very good at it if I'm not <laughs> <laughs> acting like myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but more than anything, I, I like writing uh, in any capacity, whether it be stand up or uh, just, you know, um, essays, television, whatever it is. That's uh, what I like the most. Awesome. Um, so we talked about it a little bit ago, obviously, your album that came out in 2017, I believe. Yes. Dream Occupation. So, again, I just re-listened to it. It's hilarious, by the way. Oh, you know, thank you. I was you. crying laughing on my walk earlier today. Thank you. Um, so what's it like to create an album as far as the process goes? So is it just one stand-up bit that you break down, or is it um, sort of like a, a, a subset of like different acts that you've had in the past? Yeah, so it was um, it was a collection of jokes that I had done since I started. So for me, uh, and, and people kind of approach it differently. I, I especially in New York, because you're generally speaking, you're only getting up ten to fifteen minutes at a time, and the the pace of comedy is so fast where you're turning over material really quickly, uh, and you have in mind other comedians that have heard these jokes. So you're constantly churning out new stuff. So for me, it was just piecemeal together over that length of time. Other people approach it different where they look at it as a whole piece and they kind of like, okay, here's where I want to go from A to B, where for me, it was just like, okay, here's a collection of jokes that seem to be aligning with each other based on different themes. Are you planning on putting out another album anytime soon? Or yeah. is that just... <laughs> Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah. Man, I was like, it wasn't minutes... a one off thing. <laughs> no, no. I was like 10 minutes away from a new album before the lockdown started. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So I'm, uh, I, I, what I've been doing, because I, I find it hard. Some people are so good uh, at generating material from observing the world at large. I'm always, I'm dog shit at that. Like things need to happen <laughs> to me, and nothing has happened during quarantine. <laughs> so I, I, what I've been doing is I've been listening to audio recordings from, sets going as far back since i recorded my last album like any open mic set or any bar show that i've done where i did newer material on just to listen and be like oh okay i know how to do this joke now or i shouldn't have thrown that joke away there's actually something here i just need 10 <laughs> minutes of material and then i can record this goddamn thing <laughs> um but uh yeah no that's what i have in the works and then i was working on a solo show which you know also has been halted given the situation but you know when things uh get back to normal you know all that stuff will pick back up yeah speaking of getting back to normal um the live stand-up scene in new york is that still dormant or when's that coming back 
Uh, yeah, we don't know. Uh, people have gotten pretty creative though over the summer, where a lot of uh, a lot of independent shows have popped up on rooftops and in backyards, and then clubs have run shows that are in the park or the same on rooftops. So, uh, as the weather has been permissible, we have been able to do stand up at a at a pretty good clip, I would say. Um, and uh, Going forward, yeah, I have I have no idea uh, how it's going to work come fall and winter and stuff like that. Do you have any plans to travel anywhere outside of New York to do comedy? Yeah, I mean that's the that's the weird thing right now is that um, you know given just I need to pay rent, uh, I have to <laughs> I have to uh, you know I you know not that I don't want to like I'm grateful for the work, but you know obviously I'm factoring in uh uh risk <laughs> but uh yeah no that being said i will be at acme uh comedy club <laughs> this weekend in minneapolis minnesota um which is you know I, one of my favorite clubs in the country um but that's very little like i'm only doing it if the club themselves is taking precaution and or i need need the money given the climate yeah, no, definitely understandable. And you mentioned that that's one of your favorite venues, Acme in Minneapolis. <clears throat> I'm a big stand-up fan, so I'll watch all these different shows on like Netflix or whatever, and they'll say, you know, performing at this so-and-so venue, and I always see like the different setup. I mean, how kind of like take me backstage? Like, what what are the differences between those? Because I know some are like older, some are newer, but just kind of yeah. walk me through what it's like backstage. Yeah, I mean, the, it's stand-up is so funny because just like the disparity from week to week. Because you'll go, <laughs> you'll go to a place like Acme where you're just you're treated so well and everything is clean and everything is nice, and then the next weekend you're in a boiler room and, <laughs> and, and the guy is like, "Can you do two hours?" <laughs> so it's just, uh, it just, it just varies so much from venue to from uh, venue to venue and week to week. I mean, some places they have massage chairs in the mm. green rooms and it's everything you would think uh being i guess uh in entertainment or show business would be and then you do get the other end of the spectrum where there's just a guy with a, a beaten wooded stick <laughs> who's just like go out there and make the mob laugh <laughs> <laughs> i can definitely picture that <laughs> yeah <laughs> So when's the uh, Anthony DeVito Netflix special coming out? Probably never. I mean, let's be honest, guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I'm okay at this, but I don't think that'll ever happen. Uh, unless, you know, I, I mean, yeah. Who knows in terms of if I get the right, right amount of weaponry and I put the right thing to someone's temple and threaten their children, then I think right around the corner. <laughs> but, uh no, probably not. I'll probably self-produce some stuff. And, you know, if that ever took off, you know, get on, you know, a larger radar. But, you know, at some point, I don't know. At some point, you just uh, you sort of reconcile that with yourself, not in a, a shitty way, but just in a way that's like uh, peaceful, I guess. Yeah. Well, Anthony, this was a great conversation. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Yeah. Uh, do you want to plug away your social media? Oh, sure, man. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Devo for TiVo. And uh, please follow the Rad Dudecast at the Rad Dudecast. And uh, take a listen. It's really funny with two very, very funny comedians. All right. So you can follow Anthony DeVito at Anthony DeVito underscore on Twitter at Devo for TiVo on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, you're better follow, at this than me, man. <laughs> follow the Rad Dudecast on Twitter and Instagram. And you guys have a Patreon for the Rad Newcast. So, yes. 
Go sign check, up. Give sign, the money. Sign yeah. up. Go support Anthony so he could pay his rent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> go listen to Dream Occupation album on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Play. Anthony. Thank you so much again. We really appreciate it. Um, we're looking forward to things getting back to normal and able to go see you live. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, anytime, man. This was so fun. All right, man. Awesome. I'll have you back on. For sure. All right. Have a good day, guys. Enjoy. Right. Hey, feeling Thanks, good like I should When in Durkle, walk around the neighborhood Feeling blessed, never stressed Got that sunshine on my Sunday best yeah. Hey, every day can be a better day despite the challenge All you gotta do is leave it better than you found it It's gonna get difficult to stand but hold your balance I just say whatever cause there is no way you're round it Everyone falls down sometimes But you just gotta know it'll all be fine It's okay